one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life. I ask you to minister to my heart. I pray that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it, so that I can do it and see it change my life. Bless me in the service, Lord. Bless me with your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a new series this week called The Art of War. And um, before we speak about the battle that we have on the earth, last week we spoke about what is it that it's all about? What is it that everything is all about in the first place? And we go to one of the passages we looked at last week. And I want you to think about who this God is that we worship. And in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 to 5 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold, and, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, this week we're talking about the enemy's art of deception. And I really want to ask you with that today, because Isaiah, when he gets his vision, he's downcast. Because at the end of the day, Israel at the time when Isaiah gave his prophecies had reached the end of an era. Things had been going well in the nation. And the era was coming to an end with the king having died. And now it's a bit distressing. And life is a bit problematic. And then he gets a revelation of God. He sees heaven. He says, never mind how big God is. Just look at the angels who worship God. They are so big that when they shout out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole place, the whole temple, the whole throne room of God begins to shake. And yeah, we have some smoke that my wife always faithfully keeps going. And this smoke is because this stuff actually kills viruses in the air. Now, we have this, we have smoke machines and things like that to create smoke here. But when these guys start shouting, it's like the smoke starts coming in and it starts filling the whole place. That is how gigantic the angels are. The angels themselves have six wings. And... With four of the wings, they're covering themselves. Because so glorious is the splendor and the holiness of Almighty God 
that they're using their, their wings to cover themselves. They fly with two. And then I want you to think about the fact that when you have an encounter with Jesus, the first thing you realize is how much you fall short. You stop judging other people as a result. And then you get to a place where you realize how much He loves you. And it's only when you have an encounter with Jesus that you can truly get to a place where you have the full and complete and utter assurance of salvation. The full and the complete and utter assurance that when you die you're going to heaven. It is only when you have an encounter with Jesus that you can be healed of the rejection. And what is the rejection that is in your life? The rejection that you have faced. Maybe rejection that came when you were still in your mother's womb, wherever it may be. The rejection you had as a child. Maybe you were rejected by your parents. Some of us in the services in this church are orphans. We grew up as orphans. We were abandoned by our parents. Or maybe it's just, you know, that puppy love thing that we talk about. You liked someone as a teenager or maybe going even into your 20s. Maybe you even started dating them and then the next thing they rejected you. Or it could be the, the, the ultimate betrayal which is the rejection that someone faces when their spouse divorces them. But it's only through an encounter with Jesus that the curse that comes upon your life because of that rejection, the, the, the curse that comes because of betrayals that have been perpetrated against you, it's only when you have an encounter with Jesus that you can be healed of those wounds, that you can receive the inner healing that so many of us uh, crave. It's only when you have an encounter with Jesus that the spiritual bondage, the spiritual chains that are on your life are broken. The, the, the spiritual chains that come from the demonic powers that the enemy is using against you to pound you day after day after day. The thought processes and all sorts of things that are going on in your life. It's only through an encounter with Jesus that that will be overcome. The ministry of the Holy Spirit only comes after an encounter with Jesus. And I want to ask you this question, what are you living for? When you look at your future, what is it that you see? Because it's only when you have an encounter with Jesus that you will see the real picture. And the whole time, the enemy is working to deceive you. He's working to deceive every living person on the face of the planet. And this is why the series that we're going into now is called The Art of War. And I believe that a famous book that many people know and has become very popular, even amongst people that are not looking at war situations, that are not involved in the military, and, and that is a book called The Art of War by a guy named Shan Tzu who was an ancient military genius. And I believe many of his tactics he actually got from the enemy. Because the enemy uses it against the church. 
And I just got some notes here from this book. You can see it. It's on Wikipedia. But Shin Tzu's military method is an ancient military treatise dating back to from the late spring and autumn period, roughly in the 5th century BC. So about five centuries before Christ, about 500 BC. The work which is attributed to the ancient military strategist Sun Tzu, or the Master Sun, is composed of 13 chapters. And each one is devoted to a different set of skills or art related to warfare and how it applies to military strategy and tactics. For almost 1,500 years, it was the lead text in an anthology that was formalized as the seven military classics by Emperor Shenzong of Song in 1080. The year 1080. The art of war remains the most influential military strategy text in in East Asian warfare and has influenced both Far Eastern and Western military thinking, business tactics, legal strategy, lifestyles, and beyond. The business tactics is why many people are enamored and fascinated by the art of war. You know, like Sashi is obsessed over movies. Well, many people in business today are obsessed over the art of war. The book contains a detailed explanation and analysis of the 5th century BC Chinese military from weapons and strategy to rank and discipline. Sun also stressed the importance of intelligence operatives and espionage to the war effort. Intelligence is when you're gathering information about your enemy. Considered one of history's finest military tacticians and analysis, he is His teachings and strategies form the basis of advanced military training for millennia to come. Sue's approach relies on intelligence or spying. And here is the thing. They gather intelligence for two purposes. The first is that they want to understand what the enemy is doing. Because if you know what the enemy is doing, you have an advantage. And secondly... To deceive the enemy. To make the enemy think you're attacking over there, when in the meantime you're going to attack over there. When you have Jesus, understand that your enemy is the devil. When you have Jesus, understand that our enemy is the devil and is the enemy of the church. Understand this. Because of the blood of Jesus, he cannot take you head on. He cannot. And so he has to deceive you. And so he deceives you into fighting wars that do not mean anything. anything. And in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, the apostle Paul says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so here's the thing. We have an incredible strength over the enemy because of Jesus. And the strength that we have, we have because of the blood of Jesus. We have three strengths. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have the church. Those are our strengths. 
When you start looking at, at, at the whole, the, the, the spiritual battle and the spiritual di- dynamic of everything, part of our strength is that we're better together. And Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says, For just as each one of us has one body and with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. And so as a church, we are all part of one body. But all of us are different members of that body. We do not all have the same function, but we're all equally important. And the body is so important. It's so incredibly important. But the question is, how do we build it? Because we want to build the body because the body, the church, is one-third of the advantage that we have over the enemy. And the first thing I want to tell you is that we build the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to realize that the Bible is clear. Every single day, we are facing a battle. Every single day, we are at war. And I want you to realize as you're sitting here today, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. You're at war. There's a battle going on. The last song spoke about it that we sang. There's a battle going on inside of me. There's two worlds that are clashing inside of me. And in the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha knew this. And we read about Elisha in two kings where the enemies of Israel could not defeat Israel because Elisha kept giving the king of Israel intelligence. And so whatever the enemies did, the Israelites were able to overcome because they knew beforehand where the attack was going to come from. And eventually the king, he he reckons he must have spies or something and he wants to kill people. And the next thing someone tells him, no, no, it's a prophet Elisha. God tells him where you're going to attack. And so he decides, I want to kill Elisha. And in the church, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you get information all the time about where the enemy is going to attack you. And so guess what? The enemy wants to kill the church. Now, when the enemy wanted to kill Elisha, we read this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up, he went out early the next morning. An army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. The first thing I want you to realize is that the enemy is going to attack you with fear. When you are in fear, please understand that the devil is attacking you. When you think that your nose is too big, your ears are too big, your legs are too long or your legs are too short or whatever you think bad about yourself, please understand the enemy is attacking you. And then it says, I just want to go back. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. How many times are we asking that question about our lives? And then we see in verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I want you to listen to me very carefully to what I'm going to tell you right now. And, and the, this is the truth. Great are the enemies of the church. They are great. They are massive. Like what that servant of Elisha saw. There are masses of them all over the place. And they are being marshaled by Satan. And often he uses human armies to fight his battles. Often he uses human governments to fight his battles. Often he uses human police forces to fight his battles. Often he uses human media to fight his battles. But the thing is, when Elisha faced this situation like the church faces, he was not afraid. He was not afraid even though an entire army of an entire nation had come to kill him. I mean, think about the pressure that you face. You think you're under pressure. Imagine if the whole of Zimbabwe's army had come to Johannesburg. And they didn't want to fight South Africa. They'd come to your house because the whole army of Zimbabwe wants to kill you. By the way, don't laugh about Zimbabwe's army. If you go and study something about armies, if Zimbabwe right now invaded South Africa, South Africa would lose. They have a stronger army than South Africa, yes. Hmm? Yes. Go do your research. So Elisha's there, and he can see in the natural, he can see this army there in the natural. But the thing is, he also saw in the spirit realm. And what he saw in the spirit realm was that there were more forces with him and his servant than the forces that were with those soldiers and that army over there. As spectacular as they looked in the natural, they were nothing compared to the spiritual armies that were with Elisha. And so, when his servant was afraid, Elisha asked God, listen, just give him vision. I want to tell you, you need vision today. I, I, really, I really need to tell you that as strongly as I can. You need vision today. Because if you don't have vision, if you don't see what God wants to reveal to you in the spiritual realm, the problem is you do not know what Elisha said to his servant, that more are them who are with us than them who are with them. So he, when his servant was afraid, Elisha asked God to give him vision and the servant's eyes were opened and he saw these gigantic angelic forces there. And he saw not only were there soldiers and, 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 and spiritual horses and all sorts of things. There was all of this fire and the fire was with Elisha and the fire was at the command of Elisha. And those soldiers over there didn't know what was going to hit them. Later, much later, the Israelites who had forgotten God and would go off and live their own lives and do their own things, eventually they were taken into captivity. Now, after a period of activity, as, uh, of captivity, after a period of being in exile, as was prophesied to them by the prophets, God brought them back to, to, to his land. And when they were brought back, they had to rebuild the temple. 
They had to rebuild the temple of God. The first thing they had to do was to rebuild the temple because the temple of God gave direction to the people of Israel. So now they come back and they're supposed to rebuild the temple, but they get distracted. So instead of rebuilding the temple, they start building their own houses. They start doing their own things. They start building their own lives and they're forgetting about the house of God. And, and, and now things are not going very well for Israel. The, 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 the guys, the exiles that have come back, things are not going all that well for them because they've forgotten about the house of God. And so... They forgot about the house of God, even though they knew that before the exile, the reason why the people got destroyed, and the reason why Jerusalem was destroyed, and the reason why the temple had been flattened when the Babylonians and that came in, the reason that all of that happened was because they turned away from God, and they turned away from His law. And so they suffered many hardships including what's called the dysphoria. And the dysphoria was when the tribes of Israel were scattered across the nations of the earth. It caused great suffering for them. And God later had to move the hearts of his people to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. So now they come back. They come back. They remember the promised land as it was. When they get back to the promised land, now all they find are ruins. All they find is rubble. And so now they returned, but they were now so absorbed with their problems that they took their eyes off their primary goal, the rebuilding of the house of God. And I want to tell you today that people can only be saved through the preaching of the gospel. And what did we learn from the people that had come back from exile? When people get into religious conformity, they lose their vision. What else do they lose? They lose their spirit of conquest. Do you know that God wants you to be a conqueror? God wants you to conquer in life. God wants you to be going somewhere. God wants you to feel that your life has a purpose, that your life has a meaning. God wants you to feel that there's something bigger than you and there's a force greater than you that is pushing you on. They lost their faith and they lost their direction. And you know what we learned from this? The suffering of the nation has a spiritual origin. I want you to think about South Africa today. I want you to think about the suffering. You really think it doesn't have a spiritual origin? You know, many of the things that we see where people are suffering today were prophesied by the church when South Africa became a new country in 1994. The church warned the nation to build the nation according to the word of God. And the nation did not listen. And the church says, if you do not listen, this and this and this is going to happen. And it has happened. We think it's the Zamazamas. We think it's the winter winters. We think it's the summer summers. We think it's all of these things. But the issue is, if we turn our, 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 our backs on God, then suffering comes. And in Haggai chapter 1, God exhorts his people and provides a diagnosis for their crisis. And he's given us a diagnosis for our crisis today. And the root of their problem was, was simple. They were not committed to building the house of God. And so through the prophet, the Lord himself presented three aspects that are necessary for bringing the glory of God back to the nation. 
In Haggai chapter, eight, chapter 1 verse 8, he says, Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. Three things he says. He says to him, first, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple. Now, we're going to continue to look at that next week. But I just want to tell you, and I want to give you a small taste of what the wood is. The wood that they had to bring speaks to us of the cross. And when we're looking at the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 25, the Lord Jesus, and I want you to, because we're going to be going into a time of communion now. And, and very often as Christians, we take the communion very lightly. And I want to ask you today, how serious are you about communion? How serious are you about the cross? How serious are you about the blood of Jesus? Your very life depends on it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Why is the cross so important? When we come and imagine, imagine if there's a gigantic cross here. And imagine if Jesus is on the cross. And we come and we kneel before the cross. When we do that, there's an exchange that takes place. Who we are gets exchanged for who he is. And here's the thing I want you to understand. And I want you to look at me and I want you to listen very carefully to this question I'm going to ask you. How many of you are wanting to change and you can't? I'll tell you why you can't change. There's no change without the exchange at the cross. I remember when we started working with Pastor Bert and Pastor Bert and Pastor Sinead became our pastors. Pastor Bert said this very early on. There's no change without the exchange. Nothing. If you don't have the exchange at the cross, nothing will change. And, and what it also means is that growing in character means you grow in Christ. And the growth comes from an, a continuous exchange that is taking place at the foot of the cross where you are being exchanged for Jesus, where you are being exchanged for Him and you are focusing on what the blood of Jesus has done for you. The fact that by the blood of Jesus you are restored, you are healed on the inside. The fact that by the blood of Jesus you are broken from, away from every single bondage and every single thing that the devil has against you. It happens at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only one constant in the life of a victorious Christian and that is there is continuous change. There must be an attitude to grow. And I want to ask you today, do you have the attitude to grow or are you ready to just sit there and take the truck of the devil all the time? non-stop just take his garbage and keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over I'm so tired I want my life to change I'm sick and tired of the day what are you doing what are you doing about the blood what are you doing some of us were saying that this morning some of us were saying it yesterday. Some of us put posts up. The problem with this country is. The problem with this country is you. The problem with this country is me. Stop talking about the country as if you're not part of it. 
Stop talking about the garbage that's going on in the country as if you're not a part of it. You are the country. There must be an attitude to grow. What happens? Look at me. What happens with most people in South Africa? What happens with most people in Africa? They don't want to grow. Oh, we blame everyone else. It's Britain's fault. It's the white's fault. The whites say it's the black's fault. The colored say it's everyone's fault. Everyone's against us. But it's always someone else's fault. It's never our fault. No, no, I don't care. Black, white, colored, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Indianese. I don't care what you are. At the end of the day, if you don't have an attitude that wants to grow in Christ, you're going to stay with the twack that you got. And there's only one word for twack. Tell the person next to say twack. Now tell them twack is not what I want. Then there must be an exchange. Because the blood comes and the blood is a seal of protection. When we're having communion today, the blood is the seal of protection. In Revelation 12 verse 11, it's a famous verse. You should be able to quote it off by heart, but many of you can't. Shame on you. Revelation 12 verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. The communion we have, the crucifixion of Jesus, was all foretold in the Passover. When the Passover lamb, his throat was slit, the blood was poured into a bowl. And the bowl represents our faith, which holds the blood of Jesus. The blood of the lamb represents the blood of Jesus. And then it was taken with, they, they took a hyssop branch. The, 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 the hyssop branch is a branch of a tree called the hyssop tree. And they would dip it into the blood. And then they had to go, and they had to go paint it on the doorposts and the lintels of the house. And the branch speaks of our applying the blood. How do we apply the blood? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We testify, we speak about what the blood of Jesus has done for us. And when they painted the blood on the doorposts and the lintels, what happened? When the angel of death came to take the lives of the firstborn of every house in the land of Egypt, when he saw the blood... He passed over because the price for that household was already paid. So we as the church need to do the same. How did the children of Israel defeat the spirit of death? With the blood of the Lamb. And I want to tell you, and I want you to listen very carefully, because when we have communion in a moment, please understand that the blood of the Lamb is a type and a shadow of Jesus who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the container is, is our faith. So, so this is not just where you're having a piece of bread. Maybe you're thinking, I never had breakfast this morning. At least I'm going to have a piece of bread now. I've been starving for days. At least I come to church, I get a piece of bread. My church feeds me. Thank goodness. Then you miss the point. We'd rather than you, you stay starving. The... the the bread is the body. It's the body of Jesus broken for you. How much does Jesus love you that his body was broken for you? When you look at that piece of bread, that is what you remember. 
And when you look at that piece of bread, when my body's broken with sickness, I can believe because Jesus' body was broken so mine can be healed. And this is why by His stripes I am healed in Jesus' name. Amen. And the hyssop is our confession. I'm confessing the blood of Jesus has the power to save me. Now when we're talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, what does it mean in Hebrews 12 verse 24? And our, our, this is what communion's all about, guys. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than Abel. Abel made a sacrifice that God was pleased with. He ended up getting murdered for it. And, and what this says is that the blood of Jesus is a better sacrifice. It's a better thing than that of Abel. And here's what I want you to learn today. And we teach us so much. And this is why the life class is so important. And the encounter is so important. And even Desi training is so important. Because at the end of the day, it teaches you how to live a life where you know how to apply the blood of Jesus, where you know how to make faith a part of your daily walk. And the application of the blood in specific areas of our lives, it's sprinkled there with faith. And we believe that the blood has the power to do what the Bible says it does in that area of our lives. Our confession is about what the blood has done for us. And we say our confession as if it's already happened, even if we haven't seen it yet. We believe it and declare it as if it's already happened. And with the blood of Jesus, you beat the devil. You beat him to a pulp. And that's why he tries to deceive you. He tries to deceive you because he's scared. When he comes to attack you and he comes to, 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 to rise up against you, he is afraid of you applying this weapon that you have because he has no answer to it. Every area in your life can be blessed if you make the determination to believe and to apply and appropriate the, the power of the blood of Jesus in your life. I want you to close your eyes. To Timothy 2 verse 11 to 13, see this as I say it. It says, if we die with him, we will also live with him. We die with Jesus when we come and kneel before the cross and we see ourselves being crucified with Jesus. And we see the exchange taking place. We disappear. Jesus becomes the one who's there. And it says, if, if we endure hardship, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful for He cannot deny who He is.
Remind me of your endless mercy Oh, 